This is Candy Cosplay, and you're listening to We Got the Geek. This is Jay Stu. I'm here with um, a good friend, Colin. Hello. Uh, we're here at the Seneca Theater in uh, Niagara Falls, and uh, super excited to be here with the lead singer of the Bob, John Mark. How's it going, sir? Oh, very well. I uh, appreciate you sitting here to, to talk to us. Uh, we've been fans for a long time, actually. So I see. <laughs> yeah. As we were saying, we, we saw you about 32 years ago at the uh, Meriton Community Center in St. Exactly. Catharines. Yeah, so I great show. very well. Yeah. Cool. So uh, Colin and I, uh, we pretty much grew up in the 80s. We were uh, teenagers back then. And I don't, I can't speak for Colin, but I know how I first got acquainted with your music was via the videos. Of uh, course. music and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering... Um, were you happy with having to do the videos back then? Happy with the process? And uh, do you have a favorite of your videos? Actually, to answer the first part of your question, no, I wasn't at all. I didn't like it at all. I thought we were putting pictures in people's minds instead of having themselves, uh, uh, you know, conjure up the ideas and the pictures they wanted according to what they interpreted the music as. And I thought it was a really bad idea. However, after our first video, when the sales just shot up through the roof, I thought maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. Definitely. Yeah. All right, and do you have a favorite of the videos you did? Actually, yeah. And it's it's about my favorite tune, too. It's a, it's a song from the second album called La Faire du Moutier. That's a good one, yeah. And uh, this is the most original song, and it's the best song we've ever written. It's a once-in-a-career song, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And the video was pretty much... Well, first of all, we co-directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I co-directed it. And I wanted it to look like a film noir, um, a police film from France. Mm-hmm. Actually, the action takes place in France, and I wanted it to look that way. So it was a lot of research. It was a lot of... Uh, we had to look for locations, costume, all that sort of thing. And all the members of the band played a role in it, as if they were an actor in a film, uh, starting with me. And it was a lot of fun to do. And the, the end result was really nice. It, it really conveyed everything that I wanted to convey. Um, because it left not much room for interpretation. It's a story that's been told. It's a murder story, as you know. And uh, and was so we just was told it. Uh, was it not Sting that did the uh, part of the French vocals, or was that just... No, that was me. Hair? That was you? Yeah. Okay, I'd always heard somebody had said that Sting had... Uh, had done it for some reason. Oh, oh, well, good. I would have liked it, but <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because I see uh, I'm I'm uh, I've been raised in a French lycée. A lycée is a is a school the way they have them set up in France, and it was actually a French school. And I spent my whole youth there. When you you, you get in there, you're five years old, and you get out, you go to university. You know, and everything you're taught there is according to the program as taught to French kids in French schools. And there's one school like that in Montreal and that's where I was. So I learned how to speak like French people mm-hmm. uh, from a very early age. So I had no problem at all with the, with the Parisian accent and that sort of thing. And, and yet, again, the story takes place in France because it was, in fact, a story that happened in France. It wasn't a, a girl that got killed. It was a little boy. But nonetheless, the murderer was found not guilty on the basis of insanity. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I wanted to delve into that thing. And to me, the most important... The most important part of the song is the ending, when the judge goes, boom, not guilty, on the basis of insanity. Yeah, oh yeah. But I'm sorry, it it, it pales in comparison to my favorite song on that whole album. Which was? It got me all through my teenage years for the first and very last. That is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Well, for the first and very last is La Faire du Moutier, part one. 
right. the, the story was told in three parts. That was the first part where the subject, the uh, the, the, the madman, reflects Austin. upon how he is. That's exactly it, okay. Austin. And then there was L'Affaire du Moutier, part two. And part three, I don't even remember. Oh, the evil in me. Yeah. Uh, but yet, the song you're talking about was not even on the record. It was only on the cassettes. You know what? Pissed me off. Sorry. I had that, and I I had the cassette, and I, got, I had that song. And then I looked it up once, I think, on YouTube or something or whatever, and I got it. And it was there once and then disappeared. I didn't know if it was a copyright thing, but I'm like, it's it must have favorite been favorite song on the whole friggin' thing. It must I tracked been. it down. You did? It. Oh, sure. Don't, don't you worry. Sure. All right. Beautiful, Good. Beautiful song. <laughs> I don't even think I have it. <laughs> but you know why it wasn't on the first album, on the second album? Because yeah. there wasn't enough room. The pressing company was afraid that if we jammed that particular track into one side of the record, uh, the, the tracks would be too narrow and that the um, it wouldn't track properly. So they decided not to put it in there. That oh, track wow. was like 4 minutes, 32 seconds. Something like that, yeah. And it was, it was great, but yeah, not... Yeah, for the first and very last, very, yeah, very nice. Song. You don't yeah. do that, yeah. We could, but it's so unknown. Yeah, I know. You should just, you should, uh, I think you should jump right on top. <laughs> okay. You know what? You know what? I'm sorry, but I've got to say, I've, I, with your voice, honestly, I, I've already thought you could kick the crap out of Bublé and you could do something like On the Mark and do a John Mark album or somewhere <laughs> thinking outside the box, but... With your keyboard playing, too? Because you do the keyboards, right? Uh, yeah, well, so, recording I do, but uh, not live. Vocally? But no, vocally, I think you could uh, you could really do something special. I'm Maybe. sorry, I just wanted to say that, because yeah, you have a chord. <laughs> I'll keep it in mind <laughs> <laughs> for a future career. Yeah. Um, I, we sort of do... A, our, usually we talk nerdy subjects on our podcast. Sure, why not? And music and TV and whatnot. There's been a lot of... Like music biographies out in the movies lately. Uh, if they ever did a box movie, who would you see playing yourself? Me. Nice. Oh, absolutely. I'm a frustrated actor. <laughs> I would love to be a, um, to have an acting job somewhere, and I was never offered one, and I think it's a shame. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, every chance I get when I when we do our videos, for example, I always make sure that I have some kind of acting acting part in there. Not just me for me, but you know, yeah. I can see that personality wise. We're doing jingles for a while and stuff too. Indeed, you, huh? yeah, 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 for at least twelve years. And, yeah. I've always wanted to get into advertising and stuff like that, but I just look at it and I can see that's the personality for it, too. Oh, I'd love to do it. Oh, nice. Uh, when I'm doing the research for this, I, I did not know that you were, used to be a member of Men Without Hats. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, it was my first band before The Box, but I didn't stay for long. I stayed for about a year, and I was a keyboard player for them. I didn't sing. And, uh, and it was an extremely instructive adventure. And then the fact that the band, Men Without Hats, became very successful just as we were coming out with the same management, the same record company, and the same everything. They kind of opened up the doors for us and made the way so much easier. Oh, yeah. It would have been a struggle without that. Yeah, definitely. Mind you, in the 80s, everything <laughs> was a lot simpler than today. If you had a record company out there that was willing to put money on you, you had it made. It's as simple as that. I heard you were a late bloomer and then did it in your nine years under your tenure. Um, 
limit that you set for yourself to be able to perform? Wasn't that the case? As well? well, that was a late bloomer as a singer, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I heard you played keyboards, and then no one really knew you could sing. That was, that's Including so myself. <clears throat> that's happened with so many people. I've yeah. seen, you know, like I look at like vocalists I like, like Alison Krauss, and I look at people that just astounding voices but Engelbert Humperdinck oh really yeah he, yeah he was a bass player I didn't know I could four sing. years you know, then, you know how I became a singer uh, while the band the box the newly formed the box was looking for a singer and we would pass auditions and we'd have a bunch of people come in and I'd have to tell them what to do and so I would sing to them what I would expect them to sing to us and after we went uh, you know for days looking for someone like that the band came to me and said why are we doing this because you're singing the parts and it seems like you're doing a better job than everybody else so leave the keyboards alone it's actually my brother who told me that he said leave the keyboards alone I'll do them you go up there and you, you sing and I started singing without knowing at all that I could do it at all and it, I was 25 by, by, by that time oh, cool yeah. who were some of your influences actually musically Progressive rock a lot in the 70s, um, but I must say that my musical diet when I was a kid, like really young, like 10, 11, 12, ranged from Gregorian chants to Miles Davis, uh, 1960-ish, to Michael Jackson, he was a kid too back then, you know, the uh, with the Jackson yeah. 5. Uh, the Woodstock movie was an enormous influence on me because I could see, as everybody else, you could see these guys on stage being absolutely authentic. Mm. And then the 70s, the progressive era, but the one band that really did it for me was the police. Oh, yeah. Because I thought that those guys knew how... First of all, I, I think they reinvented the wheel uh, with each one of them with their very special uh, character. Mm -hmm. Nobody sings like Sting, or at least not back then. Nobody had that guitar sound and these fifths that Summer uh, always does. Mm -hmm. And the drummer. I mean, who plays like that? And yet, recuperating reggae the way they did, uh, you know, rehashing reggae, but putting it in a more pop uh, kind of formula was, was just fantastic. A song like Walking on the Moon, for me, the first time I heard that was like, what the hell is that? You know, it's not like the lyrics are so inspiring. But the music itself was fantastic. Yeah, great song. And so I thought, if they can do that um, and, and, you know, and make it big like that, why not? But then again, it's most probable that, that the biggest influence for me was still Men Without Hats. Okay. Because I was there. I could see it. I, I knew Ivan personally. I knew how he wrote. And I knew how he wrote the music and all that. And oddly enough, we were very similar. And by the way, Ivan used to go to that same school that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. that French lycée. He was yeah. there too. Oh, wow. That's how we knew each other. And so there was something there, this, uh, this kind of hashing of um, European influence with uh, North American roots. And, you know, that, that was a... You're mentioning... Um just thought just when you were mentioning Gregorian chants and stuff and it's, it's kind of funny because I've listened to some of the stuff I listened to the little George album that you've done and some of the other stuff that, that I got on the on the box that was recorded in French and it's amazing how it can transcend the language it doesn't matter like what you just said about the words it doesn't matter you know sometimes if the words aren't what they are the way you're presenting it in English and in French and I don't know. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like one, thing one thing has to be said about words. Um, for us Quebecers, yeah. um, 
we never paid particular attention to words because we couldn't understand them. And so the music took over. Right. But all of my U.S. friends and my Canadian, English-Canadian friends paid a lot of attention to lyrics. Lyrics were, and, and there are many bands out there who made it really big with mediocre music, but great lyrics, yeah. really. Yeah. And, 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 and that was a very important thing for me. So when I started doing this professionally, I thought, listen, just don't uh, uh, be cheap on, on lyrics. Do them right. And so I had to do a lot with my English, by the way, okay. uh, to bring it, bring it up to par. So, yeah, sure. very important. But you're right. I mean, yeah. in 2009, we put out a record in French, completely in French, based on a novel from Guy de Maupassant. It's a, it's a French author from the 18th century. It's a short novel. And it was completely progressive, by the way. And it was all in French from that era, in that style, okay, the, the language. Wow. So imagine someone writes a progressive album and, and the lyrics are, are spelled out the way Shakespeare would have talked. Yeah, same thing. And it was just amazing to do. And the people loved it. But, you know, today being the markets being what they are, we sold 2,000 records and oh, that's about it. <laughs> I don't want to, I, I don't want to stick something in that's kind of pointless, but Woody Guthrie? You're familiar, you know, yeah. Woody Guthrie, right? Yeah. Okay. Which time? A musician that I like as well, Billy Bragg. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but no. he's a big Woody Guthrie fan. Apparently, Woody Guthrie's daughter found a stack of songs that Woody Guthrie had never recorded before, like in a desk when she was cleaning out his place. Called him and uh, them in a band called Wilco, if you've ever heard of them. They got together and they recorded these songs that were written 50 years ago. It and rings a bell. Listen, if you listen to it, 50 years later. Can we find it on YouTube or oh, something? Oh, yeah, Mermaid Avenue. Mermaid, Mermaid Avenue. Avenue. I remember Mermaid that. Avenue. Look, yeah. okay. it's, it's amazing how half a century. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking Woody Guthrie or Woody, Arlo. Woody Guthrie's songs. No, Arlo. Uh, who's the one that the, who's the father and who's the son? Woody was the father. Arlo okay. was the son. Who played it? Woody yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. okay. But anyway, it's, the album's called Mermaid Avenue, but it's funny to listen to how 50 years can really affect a song that's never come to fruition. So. Well, a good song will stay there forever. Blows in the wind. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is the, uh, the second version of the box, which I read you formed in the early 2000s. What's it been like uh, playing with these guys? Oh, my God. It's like day and night because uh, the back in the 80s, the band was extremely busy. Uh, we played something like in excess of 200 shows per year in the, from 1985 to 89 and even 90. And we were pressed like a lemon, and it ended up like it was a job, and we had no fun at all. We were never home. I had at least one of my two daughters. I would never see her, and it was just a big pain in the ass to always be out there, yeah. you know, burning the candles on both ends. Yeah. And to the point where, in fact, we played somewhere around here in the 90s, and we played two sets. And listen to this. This is really funny. A girl uh, in, the, in, uh, in the intermission came to me and said, you know what? You know, she was very friendly and all that. But at one point she said, do you know that we see your neckties more than your guitars? And I said, what the hell is she talking about? And it didn't sink in. The next day, I realized what she was saying. What she was saying is that it shows that you guys are there for the business, not for the music. It's starting to show. And I thought, oh, my God. 
if she's right, this that is sucks. the end of it. Yeah. That really sucks. <laughs> All this to say that that was the, you know, the, ver- the first version of the band. A second is exactly the opposite. We don't go and play because we have to. We go and play because we want to. And so it's, it's night and day. And as you will, if you stick around, as you'll see tonight, mm-hmm. we have fun on stage. We really do. And I don't look like a depressed guy right now, and I'm not being <laughs> impatient with right. you, and I'm not always looking at my watch saying, hey, I got to go do my set, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm not. It's all fun. And it shows, and it's communicative. How do you say it's contagious? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the crowd just responds perfectly to that. Yeah, looking forward to seeing oh, it. Actually, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, of, and then we play all the old hits. Okay, and we got more than a few, so it's oh, fun yeah. because in the first half of the show we do the more recent material, mm-hmm. and in the second half of the show all we do is the old hits, one after the other, until the end. And once the party has uh, uh, taken root, we don't let it go. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Very nice. I don't want to take too much more of your time up because I know you have a sound check and you were telling me about the long drive today to get here. Oh, yeah, my God. <laughs> I was up at 4.30 this morning. Uh, a quarter to six, I was rolling. But I had to go to Montreal, pick up uh, our backup singer and us, our stage manager, and then over here. Imagine a Friday night coming out of Montreal, uh, Friday morning coming out of yeah. Montreal. <laughs> we spent two hours right there <laughs> to oh, wow. do four kilometers <laughs> and oh, up to here. But it doesn't matter. I mean, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right. Well, we appreciate the time and thanks for all the awesome music over the years. My too. pleasure. And we're definitely looking forward to the show. Oh, you, you'll love it, I'm sure. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. To hear more We Got the Geek, check us out at www.wegotthegeek.com and on iTunes.